Well, it's right here in front of me. I know you can't see it. I can't see it either, but it's there. That's the nature of a minefield. You can't see the mines because they're buried. But if you have to walk across the minefield, you know that they're there. I have a minefield to walk through. I'd rather not walk through it. But I feel compelled to walk through it. It seems like bad timing, but I feel compelled to speak to it. And in praying and asking and seeking the Lord, I felt that I couldn't wait. So it may seem like a bit of a downer. Maybe you feel like I'm tired of hearing about this. Or it may feel a little bit like agitation. Maybe you feel like if we're going to talk about this, I've got something to say. Which, sorry, that won't be possible in this venue. But I want to talk about and need to talk about what's happening in our nation this week. The President of the United States has been impeached by the Congress. And I feel compelled by the Lord to speak to it, and I'll share with you why. But before I do, I want to say I am not attempting to make a political statement. I am attempting not to make a political statement. I am attempting not to make a political statement about a political issue. Hence, you understand now why there's a minefield here. Because I have to make a non-political statement about an utterly political issue. Why do I have to? Well, my sense in the spirit is that I'm supposed to. As a pastor, I don't believe it is my job to tell you how to think about political people or political issues except in as much as I have a pastoral obligation to call you as people of the Lord to think about your political stances and the political stances and policies of others from the, prescript, the prescription, yes, and the perspective of Scripture and the Spirit and the Lord. First of all, I believe that in a moment like this, which is a historic moment, it is a still a fairly rare thing for a president to be impeached, and it is always a grave thing, very serious. It impacts us. We should not think that it doesn't affect us. No matter how you feel about the president, no matter how you feel about the articles of impeachment and the procedures and processes that have taken place and are taking place, it is important that you recognize as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a citizen or an inhabitant of this nation, it matters to you. And our primary call, I believe, is to pray. That does not mean that we aren't called to do anything else. It means that we are called to do that first, foremost, and always. And everything else that comes out of that should come out of that. And you know, when we pray, we should have the perspective, not just of we are praying for an outcome, but rather we are praying to God in order to hear from God. So that what you are praying for is reflecting what he is speaking to you. I also want to say this. I think it's important that we begin to recognize, if we haven't already, our individual role in being bridge builders, peacemakers, dialogue openers. In other words, part of what I'm seeing in the nation around me that I feel compelled as a pastor to speak about to you is that there is increasingly a division between people who are unwilling to listen to each other. And I don't think that's godly. Now, you can listen to somebody and disagree with them. And I'm not saying that every view has to be tolerated charitably because some views are so extreme or so inappropriate or so obviously at odds with the things of the Lord that it is necessary to call that view out and to cast that view down. But I think you and I should be cautious about becoming so entrenched in our own idea of what is right that we are unwilling to recognize that there is the possibility 
that someone else's perspective may be worth our time in listening to. And at the very least, even if their perspective isn't worthy, there's something worthy in them. They are made in the image of God. And if you are going to be an agent of God, it involves talking with people who have different ideas than you. And talking with them in a way that doesn't just talk at them and over them, but with them. Even Jesus engaged with those who he did not agree with. And he could be adamant, to be sure. But one thing that Jesus never was, was dismissive. He did not decide that somebody else could be ignored. He did engage in dialogue. Oh, this is hard. Part of the reason why I feel compelled to speak on this issue is because we are compelled to pray. And so I want to pray today for the man who, no matter what you think of him, remains our president at this time, that, that he would be available to the spirit and the will of the Lord, and that he would be living in a manner in which he recognizes that he is accountable to that, as we all need to live. I want to pray the same way for the Speaker of our House, Nancy Pelosi. I want to pray the same way for the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, who, according to our Constitution, will preside over the impeachment trial in the Senate, Chief Justice John Roberts. I want to pray for the members of the Senate and the members of the Congress, the, the House of Representatives already having acted but being involved in this process, the senators already outspoken in many cases, but nevertheless, ultimately, the jury, if you will, of this. And I want to pray that the Lord would move upon all these people because that is what the word calls us to do. The word says, pray for your leaders. Paul wrote that to a church who was living under the rule of a Roman emperor who routinely roasted his opponents on a spit. So this is not Paul being unaware of just how bad a bad ruler can be. Nor is it Paul saying, when you pray for a ruler, it means that you're endorsing them. It's Paul saying, whoever is in authority over you, recognize this. They wouldn't be in that position unless God had put them there. Yes. Look at Pilate. Yes. Pilate who judged Jesus. Was he a good ruler? Was he a righteous man? No. But Jesus himself said, you would have no power over me unless it had been granted to you from above. So the Lord knows who's in charge, and the Lord is in control. Amen. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you want just whomever to be over you. We should pray for righteous leaders. We should pray for honest leaders. And I would ask us to pray for gracious leaders. Leaders who would speak about each other and to each other with a manner of respect and regard. And I will just say, from my own perspective, I think that is lacking across the board. And I think that's something we should pray about. And we also should pray that we would have that manner ourselves. The other thing that compels me to speak about this today, in my perspective, and I submit it to you and to the Lord, is that you may be aware that one of the flagship publications of evangelical Christianity came out with a very adamant opinion piece this week. I believe the title of it was, uh, President Trump Should Be Removed from Office. I'm not here to comment on whether President Trump should be removed from office or not, because I believe that's a political opinion. I have my opinions but I'm not going to share them with you because it's not my place to use this pulpit to produce my political opinions. If you want to come and talk to me personally, privately, you can. I don't know that I'll share all of that with you anyway because I want to be clear about this. I am here to pastor people, and those people may have different ideas about politics, and I respect that. But what I'm asking you to do as people of the flock, as people of the Lord, is to submit your opinions to God, to search the scriptures to inform your opinion. And then if you have feelings that you feel are um, in accord with the scriptures and that are directed by the spirit, then share them by all means, but share them in a manner that is graceful, respectful, and bold, honest, but humble.
is why I feel I need to speak to this issue. If Christianity Today comes out and says, essentially, I've, I've read the piece several times, and if you haven't read it, I urge you to read it. You know, you think, oh, I don't care about that stuff, but you should. I think you should read it. As a Christian, this is not just any old magazine. I'm not saying you or I are beholden to it. It's not scripture. But I think we should be informed about what it says. Maybe people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family have heard about it. And maybe they think, hey, you're a Christian. What do you think about this? I think it would be good for you to be prepared with an answer. And I don't want to give you that answer. But I do want to say there's a way to arrive at that answer. I'm not saying there's a precise right or wrong answer. I'm saying there's a right or wrong way to process how we think about it. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so what I want to say is in reading that article myself, I noted some things. As I share them with you, you're going to start trying to target, well, where does he stand? Or some of you already know or think you know. Can, you, can I ask you to put that aside? This isn't about me. I'm the one saying it because I'm here dancing through the minefield. But I don't want it to be about me. So inevitably, I'm going to say some things that are going to make people think, well, he's defending the president. But that's really not my purpose here. Other people are going to think, oh, he's coming against the president. That's not my purpose either. What I want to talk about is the editorial from Christianity Today. Basically, if I can summarize for them, and I may not do it well, but I'm going to try to, and may God help me to do that well. The editorial essentially says that the moral character of this president is so circumspect, so broken and flawed, that he does not have the moral authority to lead. And the editorial itself suggests that the fact that the magazine came out 22 years ago, which it was just 22 years ago this week, that President Clinton was impeached. Who would have guessed that two decades later we'd be here again? But they came out with a statement similarly about President Clinton at that time, essentially saying that him, he and his administration had dis demonstrated such moral failure that they did not have the moral uh, position from which to lead. And that's essentially what the, the opinion piece uh, from Christianity Today says. Now, you may agree with that about President Clinton or President Trump. Or you may disagree, and you're entitled to your opinion. Here's what I'm looking for in an editorial from Christianity Today. I was looking for the support for their position in the scriptures. Because after all, the editorial says that it isn't the position of the magazine generally to take political positions, that they try and stay above the fray, so to speak, much like I'm saying I try and do. But they have taken a political position, and they, the, the writer of the editorial suggested that they did so because they felt that the moral issues were so plain and so obvious. Now again, you may feel that way too, or you may think that the moral issues go the other direction and that it's a moral outrage what's been done to the president. I'm not taking a stand either way. What I want to say is, as a Christian, this book and the spirit of the Lord and the people of God are our best understanding of what the moral vision of God is. And therefore, if we're going to make an argument about the morality of a person or a leader, we ought to refer to the scriptures. So it's confusing to me and concerning to me that there is absolutely no reference to scripture in the Christianity Today editorial. I think that's a problem. It's not my place to critique the president, but when it's Christianity Today, that's different. That's the church. Yes. And as a pastor, it is my place to critique the church because as a member of the church, it is your place to critique it too. In other words, not critique in the sense of negativity, but we are to hold one another accountable. We are to say to one another the things that the Lord has said to us and to hold one another to that standard. So I think it's fair to say that an editorial ought to reference the scriptures if it's making an argument about morality and if it's making an argument about what the God of the Ten Commandments expects. That's really the only... A reference to scripture in the editorial is basically a statement to the effect that if you're going to honor the God of the Ten Commandments, you should seek the removal of the president. But the editorial doesn't give a case for why that is. Now, you might think the case is self-evident, but this is where I want to say, if you do or if you don't, whichever side you're on, it's important to recognize this. There's about 150 million people on the other side. 
Half the country sees it differently than you do, no matter how you see it. That should matter to us. It should matter to us. If we're strong supporters of the president, it should matter to us that there is half of this nation that feels that he's evil. That he is doing things that damage people and families and whole segments of communities of our nation that he is degrading or embarrassing the nation. You might not agree with any of that, but it should matter to you that half the country passionately feels that way. And if you feel that way, and you really oppose this president, it should matter to you that there are communities in this country who feel like he's their only voice, that he's their defender and advocate, that things that have been brushed aside and diminished and discouraged by every other voice in society is being championed by him. Now, I told you, don't try and pigeonhole me. I'm not making either case. I'm saying you should care that there's others that feel that way. I'm saying care for the other. Consider the other. And let your pronouncements have a passion for their concerns and their needs. Now, in the midst of that, you may arrive at a position on what should happen with impeachment or the next election, and you're entitled to. But let it be informed by Scripture. Let it reflect the character of Jesus Christ, someone else that's not mentioned in the editorial, by the way. And that also confuses me and concerns me. Because if you're talking about what we should expect in leaders, and you're saying leaders fall short... Well, every leader falls short. That's not an excuse. That doesn't mean we turn a blind eye. There are things that cannot be tolerated or cannot be excused or need to be investigated. But it seems to me that Christianity today should be concerned with who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I find it odd and alarming that Jesus is not mentioned in it, that the scripture is not mentioned in it. And that essentially what it puts forward are facts that everybody is already aware of and that half the country can't agree on with the other half. And Christianity today simply throws its opinion in the mix. Well, they're entitled to their opinion, and they are well-spoken in the way they write it. But there's nothing particularly Christian about it that I could see. It says, you know, that dishonesty or abuse are wrong and should be reckoned with, and I agree. But it does not go the length of actually demonstrating what those things are. Now, you may feel that it does a better job than I do. And I respect your opinion in that case. But as your pastor, for those of you who are members of the congregation, and if you're a guest this morning, I guess I just have to say sorry. Sorry that you have to listen to me talking about this. But I hope and pray that something that I've said is useful to you. I'm not just digging this out of myself. I am trying to share what I hope is a balanced perspective so that whatever your political persuasions, you understand that the emphasis I'm making is, as believers, our views should, be, should belong to God. And I believe that God actually is often more interested in the one-on-one -on -one dialogue that we have with others than these big policy pictures. You know, I'm not saying policies don't matter. I'm not saying administrations don't matter. But you know what? If you are looking around at the world and you're saying we're becoming more divided and people are becoming more ungracious, the way to change that is in you and me. We are the ones who will change the world through the way we behave with each other. And at Christmas time, maybe most of all, it's a time to show charity to people who disagree. And also to consider there's a humanity behind people who have vastly different views than you. The reality is I have really good friends, even family members, I suppose, who land on totally different sides of this issue. And I'll go ahead and sort of come out a little bit and say, I'm a middle of the road kind of guy. Did you guess that? <laughs> but it's useful to me to know that there's people who love the Lord and love his word who love our president. And there's people I know who love the Lord and love his word and loathe this president. And I love all of those people. And I'm interested in hearing from them. And they also know that even though I don't necessarily totally agree with them, that I care about them. And I care about what they think. 
So I'm advocating for that, a heart of caring, a heart of concern. We have civic responsibilities. I'm not saying just throw your arms up and say, oh, well. But in your prayer, pray with the heart of God. Listen for the mind of God. And ask people who say that they are serving God to do the same. All right, I don't know if I got through the minefield without setting off any explosions, but nobody got up and left so far as I could see. <laughs> Lord, you know, um, I just want to say, Father, I don't know if I did that very well. <laughs> but I pray that you would use these words of mine, this time we've had, this time that remains for us, to, to shape each one of us to be more like you. We do pray that there'd be justice in our land. We do pray, Lord, that there would be due process in our land. We do pray, Lord, that there would be respect for diversity and a desire for unity and a regard for compromise in the best sense. We pray that there would be purity. We lift up our leaders to you right now, Lord God. Chief Justice John Roberts, who will oversee this trial and who will be in the crosshairs of such a difficult event and on the world stage, we pray that you would grant to him your wisdom, Lord God, that you would guide him in his role and in his determinations. We pray that he would seek you, that he would hear from you, that he would operate in a way in which everyone can recognize a righteous judge. We pray that the process, Lord, moving forward would be susceptible to you. Holy Spirit, we ask for the will of the Father to be done in our nation, to be done in the Senate, to be done in the Congress. We ask that senators and Congress people, Lord God, would hear from you. We lift up to you, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. We pray, Lord, that you would give her wisdom, grace, that you would use her to fulfill your will. We pray that you would give her, Lord, the ability, the capacity to build unity in the Congress where it is lacking and to also unshackle our Congress from its partisan chains. We pray, Lord, lifting up Senator Mitch McConnell, the, House, the Senate Majority Leader, and ask that you would speak to his heart and guide him, Lord. We pray that you would make him susceptible to your spirit and available to your will, and that you would give him also, Lord, a vision for bipartisan partnership and the ability to lead the Senate in such a way that all voices are valued and respected and also subjected to the reasonable expectations of leadership. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless our nation with good leaders. And to that end, according to the scriptures, we lift up to you President Donald Trump, Lord. We pray that his fate would be in your hands and the fate of this nation would be in your hands. We ask that you would grant him wisdom. We ask, Lord, that you would give him a gracious manner we pray, Lord, that you would inform him by your will. We pray, Lord, for his administration and all the members of the administration that your righteousness and justice, your rulership, would really be at work in the executive administration of our nation. We lift up to you the coming election cycle, Lord, and pray that you would raise up the person that you deem to be right for this nation and that you would... Speak to the heart of people in order that the will of the people would reflect the will of the Father. We pray, Lord, with repentant hearts, recognizing that ours is in many ways a wicked nation, and this is not a judgment we make about others, Lord, but we say, in fact, we ourselves recognize we are sinful people. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive our sin and the sin of the people among whom we live, and that you would call us as a nation to you. Lord, in this Christmas season and with this Christmas message that I'm about to bring, I pray that you would speak to our hearts about your rulership. You, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, be Lord of the United States, be Lord of all the earth. In fact, you are. So we pray, let your will be done. 
Let your kingdom come and your will be done. But we pray, Lord, that you would unite us as a people, that we would not fall divided, that we would not tear one another apart, that we would have love and not hate in our hearts, and that love and respect, truth and justice would be the American way, that your way would be our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's interesting. I didn't want to talk about that so much, and I didn't want to walk through that minefield, but you know the focus for the fourth Sunday of Advent in this series is on Christ the King. And it seems to me that the Lord knew that we would have this conversation today. It is Jesus Christ who rules the world. In this present age, Jesus himself has said, that the enemy is dominant. The prince of the power of the air is one way that Jesus refers to Satan. And the spirit of the world is given over to the spirit of the enemy. But the scriptures remind us, and the spirit himself testifies, that in fact, the reality is, that is only for a time, and only because God has allowed it. And God has allowed it because in his divine providential wisdom, he knows that this is the way by which he is bringing to pass the establishment of his everlasting kingdom on earth. And the one who rules and reigns is Jesus Christ. So today, I want to talk about Jesus as Christ our King. But in doing so, I'm going to make a quick review, and I promise it will be quick, of where we've been in the weeks of Advent leading up to this point. Advent is a reminder to us that hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, his coming was foretold to us. The Messiah's mission was foretold in the message of God. Now, it was foretold for so long that some people began to believe that it would never come to pass or that it was nothing more than myth or legend, or maybe metaphor or symbol. But there were those who believed that this promise of God would be fulfilled. And as they waited, they waited in faith and in hope. And because of that, their faith and hope was rewarded and they were satisfied. Not all of them in this life, but even as the author of the book of Hebrews says, even though some of them died still waiting and hoping, they entered into their hope. They entered into the promise of God. So you and I also take from this a message, which is that when we are believing in the fruit of the word, that is the fulfillment of God's promise, no matter how long it may take for us to see that fulfillment come to pass, if we will patiently wait upon the Lord, God will surely fulfill his promise. He always does so, and he always does so on time. So we've been looking at some simple steps that we could take in these trying and troubled times to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus once again in our worship and in our midst. And one way is to trust God as your hope and help. I want to return for a moment to what we just talked about and say it may help us to be more gracious and also to be more honest with ourselves and with others if we recognize that it is God who is the judge of all the earth. And that if we trust God, our trust will not be disappointed. That doesn't mean that we don't have actions to which he calls us. But we need to wait upon the Lord, to hear from him, and then to patiently pursue those things which he clearly directs us towards. What he says most of all is, I will be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. If you're trusting in me, you will have my presence. The prophet Isaiah called it Emmanuel, which in the Hebrew means God with us. And it's the very name of who Jesus is. Jesus is God manifest with us. He's the light of God shining in our world. We were people who walk in darkness, but Jesus is the light. His coming illuminates us with God's light. No wonder that Christmas time is a time of lights. Lights on the trees, parole parade on the streets, lights on the houses, lights in our heart, that the light of God not only illuminates our world, but the word of God, which is the very person of Jesus, is the bread of heaven to nourish us with God's life. And so 
in our simple steps of preparation, we are reminded that Jesus didn't just come to the world in some generic way. He's a child born to us. He's the bread of heaven served to us. He's the light lit in our own dark hearts to bring his life to us. Even as Mary was filled in her womb with the life of God, so Jesus promises to you and I that the life of God will enter into us when we allow the word of God to dwell in us richly. The simple step to prepare is to hear God's word regularly, to speak God's word regularly, to read and to meditate upon God's word and allow it to inform us and to infuse us with his life. Be prayerful guided by the word. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, who is the word made flesh and the babe of Bethlehem, the Christ of the cradle, is also the Christ of the cross, the fruit of the tomb, because he is the firstborn from the grave. Jesus' coming to the earth in that cradle in Bethlehem was his first earthly step towards the cross of Calvary. Jesus coming as a child reminds us that he comes as a savior. In fact, his very name predicted by the angel, in fact, in, instructed by God, is God saves because Jesus means salvation comes from Yahweh, from God. The Christ of Bethlehem is our savior and he is also our hope in dark times. It's fitting that we celebrate Christmas in the midst of winter or at the beginning of winter, I guess I should say. But you know, the winter solstice, which we only just had, is the longest night of the year. So in the coldest, darkest time, here in the Northern Hemisphere anyway, we're reminded of the sustaining promise, the burning light, the resurrection life of God. Christmas is a reminder that whatever is sown in sorrow, God can still grow it tomorrow. Jesus, the seed who went into the earth, is the fruit who came out of the grave to bring forth the feast of God, the fullness of his life. So you and I are called to carry our cross as well. Jesus said, and we talked about it last week, don't hold on to your life because you'll lose it. We give away gifts at Christmas as a reminder that God gave the gift of his son for us. So not just the presents that we wrap, but also the life that we live is called to be a life that we give away because we've already received generously from God. Therefore, we can freely give. And it's a way in which we are reminded how to prepare for the coming of Christ. Do you know that there is on average in this city three people who are indigent, who are without a home, who die every day? Do you know that there was a man who passed away just downtown, just blocks from here, just this week, from the cold. It breaks my heart. I'm sure you feel the same. There's a need for us to do more. And it's right that we would expect our municipal leadership and our city government to do more. But again, I want to say God's calling us, each one of us, to do what we can. I wonder if that man would be alive if somebody had given him a blanket. Maybe you can't give him a home, but you could give him a meal. You could give her a blanket. Maybe you do, and God bless you if you do, and let's do more. But you know, that simple kind of a gift of giving somebody a coat that could get them through the night, that is sharing the gospel in a way that also saves lives, feeds souls as well as stomachs. Give away to those in need so that the light of the Lord can shine through you. There's so many ways in which you and I can give. And you, PCF, are a very generous people. I thank God for that. But let's never sit back and pat ourselves on the back. We only give because God, who loved us first, has given us so much. So let's give away what we have. Finally today, I'm going to talk about fruit of the throne. And I come to a place that you may rarely think of as a Christian, uh, hopefully you think of it as Christian, as a Christmas passage. And it's the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 19, John, who is on the island of Patmos, seeing these revelations from Jesus, sees heaven opened in a vision. 
And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Now this warfare is against spiritual enemies. Remember what Paul himself said, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're spiritual. That we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenlies. And this ruler who is coming to judge is coming to fight against the spiritual forces in opposition. But it does remain true that those humans that have aligned themselves with those forces align themselves with the same result. In other words, if you stand with the enemy of God, you can expect the wrath of God. Hallelujah, that God who is gracious and good doesn't desire that any should perish. And that's why he says, seek me while I may be found. Call upon me. Because he is asking us to give ourselves to him. And there is a warning from the Lord that says, I am coming. Coming to rule the world to judge the earth, and to reward according to who you are. Now, you and I, we can never be righteous in ourselves, but Jesus Christ, who is righteous, he will make us righteous through him. And that's the promise of this passage as well. But he is a daunting figure. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That means crowns. He has a name written which no one knows except himself. This is a mysterious aspect of the revelation, but it seems to indicate that there is a quality and a capacity of Jesus Christ that only God knows and that will be revealed, but only in time. And it has to do with his rulership, his reign. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. It's his own blood, but it's also perhaps the blood of his witnesses who share in his sacrifice, and therefore he says they shall also share in his throne. And his name is called the Word of God. Will you say that? His name is called the Word of God. There is only one who is the Word. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, there was nothing made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. Now the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. No one's seen God at any time, but the word of God has revealed him to us. Because he is himself God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of joint and marrow, of soul and spirit, the very word of God, spoken by the mouth that is the word, which is the sword. So that he may strike down the nations. In other words, there is no other authority that will be above him. And any authority that opposes him will be cut down. And any authority that recognizes him will bow down. He will rule them with a rod of iron. This means with strength. It doesn't mean cruelly, not at all. It means there will be no possibility of successful opposition. It is a scepter of the spirit and of righteousness. But there is wrath. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. In other words, God does oppose the darkness. And the darkness will fall. It will crack. It will be crushed. It will not prevail. And God's wrath will see to it. Think of it as a passion for righteousness that burns within the heart of God and that will be satisfied. That is the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, his name was written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Christ of Christmas. This is the fruit of the throne. 
Are you looking for a righteous leader? Here he is, and no one else could ever compete. He is righteousness itself. Over the last five years, the Lord has spoken to us a garden message, a message of meaning for us, and it started with light. God said, let there be light. And when this warrior appears, who is Jesus Christ, the King, he appears burning in light. We said that the light is given that the seed might be sown. And long ago it was said that the seed of the church is the blood of Christ and those who are willing to shed their blood to see the message advance. Those who don't love their lives but are willing to give up their lives, they become a seed too, a seed visible, a seed sown into the earth that brings forth fruitfulness when it is watered. And the water is the word. For you and I, we are cleansed by the washing of the water of this word. When we enter into baptism, we enter into a place in which the word is not only sown into us as a seed, but washes us and nourishes us to grow. Rivers of living water from within us that come from this Christ King. So that the fruit, the fruit of his will, the will of the Father, would be brought forth in our world. Even though there's a crushing required for that fruitfulness to give forth its vintage, it is a good thing because it brings forth harvest. Harvest from the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the, all the earth, the Lord of heaven. I'm going to move quickly to show how in the book of Revelation in particular, these same notions attend to the righteous ruler, Christ the King. Of course, this white horse riding hero is Jesus Christ himself. He is the bright light of God. And in fact, he is such a light that when he is present with us, Emmanuel, there is no need for any other light. Revelation 22 says that ultimately the fulfillment of the kingdom, the harvest of heaven, is that God dwells in our presence and we in his and he is our light. He will illuminate us forever. And with him there is an opportunity to see the world set right and also to live reign of his rule together with him. Jesus is the revelation of the hidden seed, the revealed name. Even though the name that Jesus carries on him is not known, what God also says is, I'll put that name on you. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, he talks about giving a stone to people who follow him, and on that stone is written a name that no one else knows? But here in Revelation 22, he says, I'll put my name on your forehead. In other words, I'll crown you with who I am. I'll make you like me. I'll make you to be like me, to live like me, to look like me. Don't worry, that doesn't mean you're going to become a man from, from Galilee. It means you're going to become more and more like the image of God in which you were made and to which you were always intended. And finally, I shouldn't say finally, I'm sorry, I've got another point. Got, yeah, I got you all excited there for a minute. But we're getting close. Look how quickly I'm moving through this, right? You've got to be impressed. We're washed by the water of the word, which is also fire. Only Jesus could give to us water, which is also fire. And that fire that nourishes us the way water does and cleanses us the way soap does is the refiner's fire. In Revelation 22, once again, the coming of the kingdom, the harvest of heaven, is a river of living water. So clear, in the Greek, it's literally bright, bright as crystal. It's a river of light as well of water. It's a river of fire and life that comes from the throne of God, that comes from the Lamb of God. And that brings forth flourishing fruit, not just one time a harvest, but a lifetime of harvest, an eternity of harvest. In Revelation 22, the coming of the kingdom is described as being something in which fruit comes every month. There is a cycle of life constant, constant. And the tree of life bears all these different wonderful fruits that are, look, for what? 
Read the last phrase there with me. Healing of the nations. Say that with me. Healing of the nations. Friends, our nation needs healing. It's sick. Our nation is sick. It's broken. And nations around the world have their own brokenness and their own illness. And the greatest disease is death, death of the soul. And it runs rampant around the world. Who will heal us? Christ, the King. And through His Spirit. And through His people. If you would see our nation healed, be the seed sown in sacrifice. Live in the washing of the water of the Word. Give forth the fruit of the Spirit because it will be healing to this nation and other nations. Yes, kingdoms will fall and buildings will topple, but people will be saved through the witness of the people of Christ. That's our charge. Our charge is not necessarily to make everything right in this world, but it is to live righteously within it and be a light in the darkness. Be hope and help to others. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. It is about being Christ with us. And today, Jesus is bodily present in the body of Christ. Christmas calls us to be Christians, to be followers of Christ. So, to prepare our hearts for Christmas, just days away, let each one of those days be focused on Christ. There's a lot going on. There's big national issues we've talked about. There's personal private issues. You've got your issues, your health, your relationships, your finances, whatever's going on. Maybe you're just sitting there thinking, I've got 12 more presents to wrap and not enough time to wrap it. (laughs) Cards to get sent out and bread to bake. Or maybe you're thinking about someone who was with you last Christmas and isn't here this Christmas. And the light has gone a little out of Christmas for you because of that. We all have our issues. Focus on Christ and let those things be laid at his feet the way that the wise men laid their gifts at his feet as well. Put everything beneath his rule. Allow his reign to reign over you. And keep fast to the faith. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to that light. So we have said that the fruit of the word calls us to wait on God and be patient. That the fruit of the womb reminds us to read and receive the word richly and to be prayerful in all that we do. The fruit of the tomb is the reminder that the Christ of the cross is a resurrected Christ. A savior who has redeemed us from sin and promised us life in him. So we don't have to cling to anything but him. We can give away generously because we know that God has given himself to us. And today, I call us to focus on Jesus and to be faithful, to stay faithful, to pray and ask the Lord to keep you faithful. I pray and ask the Lord to keep me faithful. Jesus said, pray, because in the latter days, the love of many will grow cold. I can feel that chill out there. And I'll tell you something. I'll confess something to you. I can feel it in here too. I can feel the chill of the wicked ways of the world creeping into me. So I pray, Lord, warm me from the inside out with your love. Shape me through your word and keep me faithful, Lord. Because unless God gives me the faith, I would never be able to withstand. And none of us would be able to. But God is faithful to give you faith and to strengthen your faith. Jesus said in Revelation, I know you're feeling weak and you've only got a little strength left. But I'll make you strong. I'll hold you up if you hold on to me. He's the ruler of the world. But is he the ruler of your heart? Let's bow our heads. Lord, there's so many things wrong in our world. And there's not time to list 
all the things that could so importantly be listed. But if we're honest, Lord, we'd also have to acknowledge there are so many things wrong in ourselves. And even if we were to make a list, there are things broken in us that we probably don't even know about yet. But you know it all. And you didn't come to grind us down. You came to raise us up. You didn't come to destroy us. You came to save us. But your salvation doesn't come against our will. You've made an invitation. And our part is to respond. Right now, Lord, we respond to you. And friends, I invite you to do that. In whatever way the Lord puts upon your heart today, respond to him. Trust him. Give your troubles to him. Give your worries to him. Give your sins to him. Don't hide them. He already knows them. Show him that you acknowledge that without him, you're lost. Show him that you acknowledge that his forgiveness is all you need to enter into life. He may call you to go to someone you've wronged and make your apology, but you can do that. You'll have the courage to do that because you'll have the confidence of forgiveness and you'll have the humility and grace of Christ alive in you. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive and he'll call you to do it. Maybe that's why you've held off from him. Maybe that's what's put a wedge between you and him is that you know that he loves somebody that you can't stand or can't forgive. Friend, it's you that's suffering because of that. Let the love of the Lord enter into you and release you from the prison of unforgiveness. It doesn't mean that you're saying what somebody did that was wrong is suddenly right. It means that you're recognizing that the righteous one will take care of that and that you, who have not been righteous yourself, are willing to trust the one who is righteous and you're willing to forgive because you know you yourself have been forgiven. Let the love of the Lord enter into you. Let the grace of the Lord enter into you. Let the life of the Lord enter into you. It's the life of Christmas. It's the life of Christ. It's the light of the world. Be that light. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.